Hello. Welcome to the Myths and Legends of Europe. Thank you very much for listening to this 2018 re-release of a chapter originally released in my other podcast, The Myths and History of Greece and Rome. I do hope, for those who don't listen to my other podcast, that you're enjoying this series on Greek mythology. Before we start, I'd like to encourage you to go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk, which is my new website that covers both of my podcasts. It contains lots of interesting features and a blog, and I think you'll enjoy it. On the site, you'll find a donation button. This podcast, as with my other one, is and always will remain free, but any donations are very gratefully received. You can donate either a one-off amount, or you can donate monthly. There are gifts for anyone who donates, so please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk to find out what they are. Okay, on with the chapter. Hi, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 15, The Six Labours of Heracles. The story of Heracles starts with the story of Perseus. Perseus was the first of the great heroes, and Heracles was the greatest. It is no surprise they were part of the same family. When Perseus died, the only great hero to have had a good long life and a peaceful death, he was succeeded by his son, Electrion. The new king of Mycenae fought battles against the Taphians who had stolen his prize cattle. In the battles over the cattle, all eight of Electrion's sons were killed, and Electrion wanted revenge. He also wanted his cattle back. While he was away fighting, he left his nephew, Amphitryon, who was married to his daughter Alcmene, in charge of the kingdom. Amphitryon learned the stolen cattle had been sold to the king of the kingdom of Elis. He went to meet the king and agreed to buy the cattle back, and so he paid the king of Elis a big wad of cash. The cattle were returned to Mycenae. Amphitryon thought Electron would be pleased, but quite the opposite was true. When he returned, Electrion was furious that money had been paid out to buy back animals that already belonged to him. He did not hide his rage and gave Amphitryon a severe telling off. Amphitryon reacted by throwing his club in anger. He didn't really look where he was aiming though and the club hit one of the cattle on its horns. It rebounded off the horns and spun through the air whereupon it hit Electrion on the head, killing him instantly. Amphitryon was banished from Mycenae by his uncle and fled to Thebes with Alcmene. King Creon took them in. In Thebes, Amphitryon was purified of the crime, with the help of King Creon, raised an army to avenge the sons of Electrion. While he was out fighting, Zeus arrived in Thebes, up to his old tricks for one last time. He appeared before Alcmene, disguised as what? A tiger? A goat? A rat? No, this time Zeus hit on the perfect disguise. He appeared to Alcmene, disguised as Amphitryon. Of course, Alcmene thought the king of the gods was actually her husband. Zeus probably wondered why he hadn't thought of this trick before, and returned to Olympus thoughtfully. He knew that his son would be born to Alcmene, and he knew his son would be the greatest hero of them all. He decided that this son would be the last child he would have with a mortal woman. Nine months later, Zeus boasted that a child was to be born that day, his child, who would rule over the house of Perseus. Hera was, as usual, very annoyed, and so she planned a trick. She asked Zeus if the one who was going to rule would definitely be the next child born into the family. Zeus, very pleased with himself, 
replied that yes, it definitely would be. The child would be born before nightfall and would be the ruler. Hera made him promise this would happen, and promise he did. Hera crept down to earth. Once there, she magically delayed the birth of Alcmene's child and brought forward the birth of another descendant of Perseus. Hera's trick worked. A child called Eurystheus was born to the king of Mycenae. The next day, Alcmene's child was born. He was called Heracles. Hera smiled to herself. Zeus had promised the child born first would rule, and Eurystheus was born first. Hera returned to Olympus and bragged about what she had done. Zeus flew into a blind rage. He knew, though, that he could not go back on his promise. Heracles would never rule. Eventually, he persuaded Hera that Heracles should become a god if he performed any ten tasks that Eurystheus should set for him. Hera agreed, but she always hated Heracles. Eventually, he would become a god, but only many years after completing his labours. Heracles had a twin brother, Iphicles, who was the son of Amphitryon. When the two boys were about ten months old, Hera sent two azure blue serpents to their bedroom with orders to kill Heracles. The two snakes slithered into the room, fangs dripping with poison, and silently crept towards the babies. Iphicles saw them coming and screamed. The screams woke up Alcmene, who rushed into the room. When she entered the room, she was amazed by what she saw. Heracles was holding up the two serpents, one in each hand. He had strangled both of them. Clearly, here was an unusual child. As he grew up, Heracles was taught the skills of a hero. Amphitryon taught him how to drive a chariot. A son of Hermes taught him how to box. Castor tutored him in fencing and battle strategy. Apollo taught him archery. Linus, brother of Orpheus, taught him how to play the lyre and gave him a love of literature. Heracles showed the other side of his nature during his studies. One day, Linus hit him when he played a wrong note. Heracles struck back, hitting Linus with his own lyre. The blow was so hard that Linus died. By the time he was 18, Heracles was ready to face the world and fulfil his heroic destiny. He had learned well from his tutors, and he received a few useful gifts to help him on his way. Apollo gave him a bow and arrows, and Hermes added a sword. Hephaestus cast a golden breastplate for him, and Athena donated a robe. Poseidon gave him horses. As a gift to himself, he had a huge club made. Proud of his club and his gifts, he was now ready. Heracles was sent out to kill a mighty lion, which roamed around Mount Kitharion, eating the sheep. He spent fifty days hunting it down. Heracles found and killed the lion, and then skinned it. Soon after this, he defeated an army sent by an enemy of Thebes. King Creon was so grateful, he allowed Heracles to marry his daughter, Megara. All was going very well for Heracles, but it was not to last. Hera still hated him, and she wanted to see him go and serve Eurystheus, who was now king of Argolis. She decided this wasn't happening quickly enough by itself, so she'd do something about it. She sent him a fit of madness. Poor Heracles was quite nutty, and saw enemies everywhere. Because he was so good with his bow and arrow, he killed quite a few people before he returned to sanity. When the madness went away, Heracles was overcome with grief and remorse. After going back to Thespia and being purified of his crime, he condemned himself to exile. The oracle at Delphi told him what he needed to do next. 
he was told to go to the city of Tiryns and serve the king of Argolis. Hera had got what she wanted. Eurystheus was exactly what Heracles wasn't. He was a cowardly and unpleasant weakling who didn't have to work for anything. He was absolutely delighted to have the greatest of the heroes under his control. No matter how much Heracles hated the fact he had to perform ten seemingly impossible tasks for Eurystheus, there was nothing he could do about it. Hera and Zeus had agreed on it. It could not be changed. It was decreed that all ten must be done by Heracles alone and he must not get paid. Heracles arrived in Tiryns. Eurystheus was very pleased. Well, he said, you are a fine strong looking chap, but you've no chance of completing all the jobs I've got set for you. Now, here's the first. You must go up the valley and over the hill towards Corinth. When you are halfway, turn left and then bring me back the body of the Nemean lion. This lion was said to have fallen from the moon and was ravaging the land of Nemea. Its hide was invulnerable to weapons and nobody could kill it. Nothing made of iron, bronze or stone could even pierce the skin. Was this first task already impossible? Did the hero really stand no chance? Heracles thought he had every chance and he strode off towards Corinth. Near Nemea he met a shepherd who told him which direction to go. You've no chance of killing the lion, the shepherd sniggered when Heracles told him of his plans. Nobody dares to go near him. I'll make a sacrifice to Zeus for you. Maybe the king of the gods will let you have an easy death. Heracles laughed back. Wait thirty days, he said, and then offer your sacrifice. But you can offer it to me as a hero. You won't have to, though. The lion will be the dead one. After a few days of searching, Heracles found the beast's lair. All around were the bones of people and cattle. The hero sat back and waited for the lion to return. Before long, it ambled up the hill, blood dripping from its mighty jaws. Heracles jumped up and drew back his bow. The arrow was as accurate as all of Heracles' arrows, and it hit the lion's flank. It bounced off the monster, who hardly seemed to notice that he'd been hit. Heracles was cross. With a cry of rage, he drew his sword and charged towards the lion, and struck him as hard as he could on his chest. The blow was the hardest Heracles had ever struck, and it knocked the lion backwards. Its hide was so hard, though, the sword just bent in half. Heracles drew his mighty club and smashed it down on the lion's head. The lion was dazed for a minute and then went back to its lair. There it turned, very angry, and prepared to attack. Heracles realised his weapons were useless against this lion, and so he used the only things he had left to use. As the lion came at him, he jumped up at it and put his arms around its neck. Then slowly, very slowly, he squeezed. He was so strong that as he squeezed, the lion found breathing more difficult. Slowly, very slowly, it became weaker. After what seemed like an age, the last breath came from its mouth. The Nemean lion was dead. Heracles had strangled it. Heracles skinned the lion with its own claws and wore the hide as a trophy. He marched back to Tiryns, pausing only to help the shepherd make the sacrifice to Zeus. He deposited the hide at the feet of Eurystheus, who squirmed and told him to take the nasty thing away. The lion was placed in the sky as the constellation Leo. The first labour was complete. Eurystheus was not pleased that Heracles had survived, but he was pretty sure the next labour would finish the hero off. Go and kill the Lernian Hydra, he commanded. This was much more dangerous and difficult than the first labour, 
but Heracles set off in high spirits. The Hydra was a massive serpent with many heads, some say nine, some say a hundred. The centre head was immortal. The child, once again, of Typhon and Echidna, it lived in the marshes of Lerna, not far from Argos. It was terrorising the locals with its fiery, venomous breath. This time Heracles did not go alone. He was accompanied by Aeolios, son of his half-brother Iphicles. They soon found the monster and they forced it into the open by firing burning arrows at it. Heracles was in a confident mood and he decided the Hydra was nothing spe special and he'd kill it easily. He strode forward, swung his sword and cut off one of the Hydra's heads. It came off easily so Heracles laughed and cut off another and then another. This, he thought, was too easy. Too easy, it most certainly was. Heracles paused for a minute and looked up at the monster. He counted its heads. If there had been a hundred when he started, he thought, and I have cut off ten, there should be ninety left. A quick count, though, revealed a total of a hundred and ten. Every time he cut off a head, two more grew back in its place. This was quite clearly not good. Just as he was pondering this new conundrum, an enormous crab scuttled out of the swamp and made straight for the hero. It nipped at his feet and grabbed at him. Heracles shouted in rage and jumped on the back of the crab, shattering its shell. Hera placed the crab in the sky as the constellation Cancer. Heracles had had enough by now, and he decided what to do. He shouted over to Ialios and told him to set a fire in part of the grove and make sure the fire was very hot. He then told his helper to grab a blazing branch and wait while Heracles dealt with another head. Aeolios did as he was told and was soon at Heracles' side, carrying a fiery branch. Heracles sliced off another of the Hydra's heads and Aeolios immediately slammed the burning branch into the headless neck. The branch seared the wound and prevented another head from growing. Heracles and Aeolios dealt with all the other heads in the same way until only the immortal head was left. Heracles sliced off the head, which being immortal, did not die. So Heracles picked up a giant rock and buried the immortal head under it so that it could never escape. He then dipped his arrows into the blood of the beast. From that day on, his arrows were deadly poisonous. The hydra was placed in the sky and Heracles returned to Eurystheus and told him the tale of the slaying. The king was not impressed. You have cheated, he said. You had help from Aeolios. You are supposed to carry out these labours on your own. Never mind, off you go and bring me back the, he the hind with the golden horns that lives on the hills of Arcadia. Off went Heracles. The third labour was not likely to be as difficult as the first two. He didn't have to kill a giant monster. After all, he only had to capture a deer. It was, though, tricky in a different way. The deer belonged to Artemis, and as we know, she could be a little unpleasant if anyone annoyed her. It seemed that capturing a deer that belonged to her might annoy the immortal quite a lot. Heracles knew he had no choice, and he quickly found the hind. He pursued it for a whole year before he overtook it. Heracles caught the hind and pinned her legs together with an arrow, making sure he didn't harm the creature. Then he swung it over his shoulders and started to carry it back to Tyrion's. On the way, he met the hind's owner, and she was, as expected, not at all pleased. Artemis asked Heracles if there was any reason why she shouldn't immediately kill him. Heracles answered very carefully and very humbly. He told the goddess it wasn't his choice. He was forced to carry out this and other labours for Eurystheus. Artemis smiled and her anger went away. OK, she said, 
Take my hind back to your master and show him, but make sure it comes to no harm and you release it as soon as you can. Heracles did exactly what he was told. Eurystheus was scared of Artemis, so he agreed the hind should be set free straight away. Once the deer was gone, though, he became his old annoying self. For your fourth labour, you must bring me the Erymanthian boar, and I want it alive. On the way to find the boar, Heracles came upon the centaurs, who had escaped from the battle with the Lapiths that we heard about when we learnt about Theseus. They invited him in, and one of them, called Pholos, invited Heracles to eat with him. They ate meat and drank wine. Unfortunately, the smell of the wine attracted the other centaurs, and many of them turned up and demanded some of the demon drink. A fight broke out between the drunken centaurs and the hero, and many of the centaurs were killed. Some escaped, three of which we will meet later in our story. Nessos and Eurytion escaped unhurt. Chiron was wounded by one of Heracles' poisonous arrows. He was immortal, but he spent the rest of his life in great pain. Eventually he was immortalised in the stars as the constellation Sagittarius. Capturing the boar was quite easy. Heracles chased it, making it more and more tired. Eventually he forced it into some deep snow, where it became so tired it couldn't go any further. Heracles stunned it and carried it across his shoulders back to Eurystheus. The cowardly king was so scared of the boar that he jumped into a large brass jar and hid there. Heracles laughed and took the beast away. He flung it into the sea, and it swam away to Italy. That's enough dangerous animals, shouted Eurystheus. For your fifth labour I have devised a really nasty, horrible, smelly, yucky job for you to do, and there won't be any horrible creatures for you to bring back. This is an impossible task. Go to King Orgius. He has the biggest herd of cattle of any man in Greece. There are thousands of them, and they produce an awful lot of poo. The stables have not been cleaned for thirty years. You must clean out the stables, including all of the poo, in a single day. Eurystheus chuckled, thinking he had definitely beaten Heracles this time. Off went Heracles, scratching his head. He was determined not to fail, but he had no idea how he was going to carry out this fifth labour. He travelled over to the stables and had a good look round, and then scratched his head some more. Suddenly it came to him. He smiled and walked away, knowing what he had to do. He went to King Orgius and spoke to him. I will clean your stables in a single day while your cows are out on the pasture, if you give me one-tenth of the herd. Orgius did not know that Heracles had been sent by Eurystheus to do exactly this, and he readily agreed. He'd had enough of stinky stables filled with thirty years of cattle poo. Heracles went about his task. First he knocked holes in both ends of the huge stable buildings. With amazing strength and speed, he dug channels to the two rivers, the Alpheos and the Peneos. He diverted both rivers so they flowed into one end of the stable, through the middle and out the other. Just like that, thirty years of cow poo was washed away. Before the herds came back to the stables in the evening, Heracles had filled in the channels and rebuilt the walls of the stables. The fifth labour was successfully completed. Orgius did not give Heracles the cattle he had promised, and the hero returned a few years later to punish him. Eurystheus was, as usual, not pleased either. He immediately packed Heracles off to chase away the Stymphalian birds. The Stymphalian birds were owned by Ares. They had bronze beaks and could shed feathers at will. They had fled to the Stymphalian marshes to escape some wolves and were ruining the crops in the area by dropping feathers and poo on them. 
Athena advised Heracles not to go too near them, as their beaks were so sharp they could pierce a man's skin. Instead, she gave him a pair of bronze castanets made by Hephaestus. Heracles climbed a mountain which looked over the marshes and clashed the castanets together. The noise was so terrible that the birds flew up in the air in fear. They fled to a distant island. Heracles shot quite a few of them as they escaped. He took them back to Eurystheus. As usual, the king was not impressed. Nobody could be afraid of these pathetic creatures, he said. I can see the first six labours have been simply too easy and too close to home. It is time for you to have some real challenges. For your seventh labour, you must travel over the sea and bring me back the Cretan bull. Next week, we will follow Heracles as he completes the rest of his labours. Until then, have a great week and I'll speak to you next time.